Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. Plants cannot run away or bite or claw their way to freedom. Plants want to survive and reproduce also, and therefore they developed a variety of toxins to protect themselves from being eaten. Our ancestors did eat plants, of course we're omnivores, but only when meat and organs were scarce, and it was as a survival mechanism, or the plants were consumed in very small quantities as medicine. If you are interested in dropping excess body fat, I think the carnivore experiment is worth a go because what's going to happen is you're going to be incredibly satiated because everything you're eating has a good amount of nutrient density and very high satiety, right? It's known that protein has an even higher satiety level than fat. Okay, listeners, get ready for more, more, more insights about the extremely compelling and increasingly popular carnivore diet or carnivore-ish diet, or as Mark Sisson coined at one of his recent blog posts, Carniflex. Whew, okay. Anyway, this show is inspired by a great newsletter from Paul Saladino, uh, one of the de facto leaders of the carnivore movement. He's got the Fundamental Health Podcast. He's got the Carnivore Code He's been a wonderful guest on this podcast. He is a straight shooter. He backs it up with incredible scientific reference and knowledge base. So I'm really paying attention to everything that he's saying and testing it out in my personal life with my dietary practices. And I think that's got to be the end all uh, as opposed to this intellectual exercise of listening to the debating experts and someone trying to conclude what's right for you is go out and test things. But uh, I love Paul's starting point where he's talking about if you're already kicking ass, We're talking about moving from kicking ass at level seven to level nine. We're compelled to constantly be on a quest for peak performance. I was just mentioning this on another podcast I did with Mickey Willowden, where I became accustomed to a certain normal that was pretty darn good in comparison to the pathetic, average, lazy ass, unhealthy, uh, modern citizen. But for me, I got used to a normal that maybe wasn't that optimal. And I can reference uh, years past in recent times feeling much worse and much less fit than I am now thanks to dietary revisions as well as revising my exercise program, my workouts. I've talked about this on the show where I've toned down the degree of difficulty of my most intense sprint workouts uh, to great benefit to where I can recover faster, do more of them, and not engage in that routine muscle soreness, that muscle damage that basically puts improvement on hold while you're trying to recover from an overly stressful workout. So this whole deal here with dietary experimentation and I guess pursuing what would be called a niche or an extreme diet it is about uh, discovering going from level seven to level nine. So let's do a nice tight overview. These are a blend of quotes from Paul's email newsletter, as well as my color commentary. And he starts out really wonderfully, uh, inspired by Dr. Kate Shanahan, the world's number one crusader against the refined industrial seed oils. And Paul is bringing that to center stage, saying this is the number one thing that you want to remove from your diet, whatever, put carnivore aside for a moment, or vegan, plant-based, or wherever you're headed. We have to get rid of these seed oils. No exceptions. Avoid them like the plague. Uh, Search YouTube for Brad Kern's Kate Shanahan Seed Oils, and you'll see a nice 15-minute interview. I think sometimes watching it visually is really powerful because Kate really impresses the point, and you'll be convinced that you got to get rid of this stuff and be ruthless about your elimination of vegetable oils. Pretty easy to do in the home, right? You're going to throw away, immediately throw away all the cooking oils, canola, corn, soybean, sunflower, safflower, all the boxed and packaged and frozen crap that contains seed oils in the ingredients 
ingredient list. Oh my gosh, uh, I used to indulge in Ben and Jerry's once in a while, maybe uh, a decade or more ago. And if you look on some of their products, these hippy trippy, cool, laid back Vermont guys are pumping vegetable uh, seed oils into the ice cream container. Ah, disgraceful. Uh, Also, we have to be really vigilant when we're out dining at restaurants because most of restaurant meals, of course at fast food, but also at medium to fine dining, will routinely cook your meal in these seed oils unless you uh, request otherwise. So the seed oils are toxic immediately upon ingestion, and they're integrated into your cell membranes because they resemble healthy cells. So the body is confused when you ingest this chemically produced artificial agent. What happens when the the seed oils get integrated into healthy fat cells is the fat cells become dysfunctional. So they're difficult to burn off of your body. If you have cellulite that seem to be stubbornly attached, even though you're working out and perhaps losing weight, uh, that's one reason is because you have dysfunctional fat cells and you really have to detox and get this stuff out uh, carefully over time. Uh, Kate is so strong on this that she says that consuming uh, industrial seed oil is literally no different than consuming a bottle of radiation. And there's an interesting study that Kate cited on one of our interviews uh, where if you smoke a cigarette, you experience an immediate disturbance in healthy cardiovascular function. Your arteries become less supple. Everything starts to work less efficiently. And it lasts for about eight hours. Yes, cigarettes are bad news. But guess what? The study in question, I think it was uh, healthy young uh, college subjects, uh, a single dose of French fries, maybe going for a medium set of fries, uh, results in a 24-hour disturbance to healthy cardiovascular function. This is not a recommendation to switch from French fries to smoking cigarettes, but it's a pretty shocking insight. Uh, What happens is your nitric oxide levels go down immediately. That's the thing that makes your arteries smooth and supple. And you basically are recovering from about a dose of poison. Uh, The other a uh, huge thing about seed oils is that they compromise your ability to burn body fat. Therefore, if you're trying to, let's say, restrict dietary carbohydrates, get rid of that processed junk, that sugar, those excess grains, and become a fat burner, if you're not good at fat burning, and you start cutting carbs out of your diet, guess what might happen? That's right. You're going to struggle, suffer. You're going to experience an intense appetite for quick energy carbs because you can't burn body fat. So you're disconnected from all those wonderful benefits that we tout and extol in all the books and all the primal paleo and keto commentary. So that's number one is getting rid of those seed oils. Thank you, Paul, for emphasizing that. And thank you, Kate, for doing so for so many years. Uh, So back to the Saladino email uh, list of things to do. Uh, You're getting rid of that that junk. And then you're emphasizing meat and organ meats from well-raised, grass-fed and grass-finished animals instead of animals raised on corn and soy. And I think here, emphasizing this point of getting the clean meat rather than indiscriminately saying, I'm switching over to a meat-based diet, uh, we can resolve the Uh, the the controversy, the confusion, the disputes between the plant-based vegan vegetarian dogma and the crazy uh, carnivore insights. So it is indeed, we all agree that it's cruel to the animals, it's unhealthy for the planet, and it's unhealthy for humans to consume animals raised in the concentrated animal feeding operations, the CAFO or feedlot animal. Now, then we have to make a distinction uh, between finding this uh, sustainably raised animal and uh, disconnecting from the dogma that you are a pathetic, uh, immoral creature because you're consuming another animal. Uh, And if we have to compare, for example, the destruction, the overall destruction to humanity caused by eating the the burger patty inside the McDonald's or the the bun and the soda and the french fries because the uh, the latter are driving this global epidemic disease of metabolic syndrome and costing trillions of dollars to, of economic progress because we have to take care of uh, a lot of sick people that are having an incredibly uh, compromised quality of life so let's pick on the the bun the soda and the french fries and the meat 
that's a personal and moral decision. But if you want to get the big picture, realize uh, some of the research that Paul has talked about on his shows. Rob Wolf is doing a great job here, too, at the Healthy Rebellion, uh, talking about these uh, sustainable farming where the animals that are raised properly, grass-fed animals, can actually have a carbon sequestering effect. In other words, a net positive to the problem of carbon emissions on the planet, the exact opposite of what uh, the vegan vegetarian dogma is talking about in general, talking about uh, eating any kind of animal. Okay, so uh, on Paul's newsletter, he had some points going down. Number one was avoid seed oils. Number two was to eat the sustainably raised clean animals. And then number three, if you've chosen to include carbs, find ancestrally consumed low toxicity plants. And low toxicity would be individual based here, right? So if they're, if a plant's toxic to you or a certain plant's not toxic, nothing happens, you feel fine, then you would get a pass. Uh, but there are categories of plants that tend to higher toxicity levels and then others that tend to be more friendly. Uh, so I'm also thinking in the back of my mind uh, about this argument of trying to go from level seven to level nine. And I'm all about that. And this uh, experience of drifting uh, away from a uh, high plant intake diet to a largely animal-based diet with uh, less plant intake uh, is interesting because I didn't report any adverse health effects from eating my wonderful, beautiful salad every day and uh, going to the trouble of uh, sourcing a whole bunch, a whole variety of plants and uh, putting up these huge stir-fry meals that I basically prepared in the name of health Uh, most every day. Uh, But guess what? When I had this plant-heavy diet with the daily salad and the huge stir-fries, I had all kinds of digestive and elimination uh, relevance, okay? So I thought this was normal, quote-unquote, or I guess level seven. Uh, This would be uh, frequent bloating, gas, transient abdominal pain, and all kinds of irregularities with my elimination patterns. In other words, uh, leaky pipes for my entire life uh, in direct association with running or difficult workouts. And I always blamed it on the workouts, the leaky pipes, uh, but it doesn't happen anymore now that I've eliminated this massive intake or this substantial intake of uh, assorted and varied colorful plants in the name of health. Uh, The green smoothie goes on that list too. And I think... uh devoted listeners have heard me talk about this a lot, where I reliably experienced a bloated stomach for several hours after preparing this super duper uh, maximum nutrition green smoothie, where I was stuffing down uh, raw frozen kale, celery, spinach, beets, blending it up with a bunch of protein and other cool stuff, and then uh, getting a balloon stomach for a few hours and thinking that was in the name of health until I uh, second guessed myself. Uh, Same with my pan fried red cabbage was like my favorite thing to pan fry. And now I realize that was directly associated uh, with leaky pipes and gas, and it was a tough thing for me to digest. Um, So here's the thing. Uh, I was pursuing uh, health optimization, right? So I thought the salad was about the uh, epitome of the healthiest meal you could get with all those different colors and different uh, ingredients in there. Of course, I also had meat and healthy oils and nuts and seeds and, and things across the board that are delivering all these nutritional benefits. Uh, but guess what? It's pretty much undisputed. It's hard to make an argument against uh, a powerhouse salad paling in comparison in terms of a direct nutritional profile, calorie for calorie, or however you want to do it, it pales in comparison to the true superfoods of the planet, such as you see on the carnivore scores chart. So the grass-fed liver, bone broth, pastured eggs, wild-caught salmon, the other oily cold-water fish in the smash family, that's sardines, mackerel, anchovies, salmon, and herring, uh, the shellfish, especially oysters, and just reviewing that chart and looking where salad would fall, objectively speaking, boy, does that give you a cause for reflection. Okay, let's go back to some quoting from Paul's newsletter. Quote, pretty easy so far, right? We're going for meat, organs, low toxicity plants. And why should you be careful with plants as your carbohydrate choice? Because plants exist on a spectrum of toxicity. They are not necessarily our friends. 
Unlike animals, plants cannot run away or bite or claw their way to freedom. Plants want to survive and reproduce also, and therefore they developed a variety of toxins to protect themselves from being eaten. End quote. Now, the first couple times I heard this, uh, it sounded kind of goofy, right? <laughs> like one of those flawed logic insights like you see on uh, Game Changers when they show the extremely muscular ox and they say, uh, look how many muscles this ox has. Do you think it's eating meat? No, it's eating grass all day. And then uh, drawing a flawed analogy to uh, what the human dietary choices should be uh, or, or kind of the commentary that Dr. Joss Axe gave me during our interview when he said that the like supports like concept, uh, which is the uh, longtime ancestral tradition of consuming uh, the, the, the animal organ and nourishing the health of the corresponding organ in the human. And this is scientifically validated because when you consume liver or you consume kidney or heart, you're getting the same nutrients that support healthy heart function uh, in your own body. So for example, uh, animal heart, you can buy the beef heart at the butcher or online. It's high in coenzyme Q10, which is the uh, super nutrient that you've often heard uh, supports healthy heart function. So like supports like in terms of organ for organ is strongly scientifically validated, uh, but Dr. Axe was bringing it into the plant food kingdom, saying that a plant food that resembles, that visually resembles an organ uh, is going to nourish the health of that uh, corresponding organ. So a walnut looks like a brain, and so walnuts are good for brain function. Uh, a celery stalk looks like a bone, so consuming celery is good for bone health. Uh, he said tomatoes have four chambers, just as the human heart has four chambers, so tomatoes are good for your heart. Now, um, that one seems like some flawed logic or some intuitive leaps of faith. And indeed, when I challenged him on it, he said, uh, if you don't believe in creationism, you're not going to like my answer. Uh, so uh, you got to be careful. I just kind of thought of mentioning that as an aside when Dr. Saladino is talking about how plants can't run away uh, or, or bite their way to freedom. But guess what? Uh, this is a literal truth. It's it's clear that plants uh, manufacture a variety of toxins, and the reason they do so is to ward off predators, to ward off the garden pests or what have you that will consume the plant and render it extinct. So even though it sounds a little uh, fun and games on the surface, this is the real deal. And the reason that we consider plants to be widely considered to be uh, fabulously uh, healthy, nutrient-dense, high antioxidant foods is because when we consume these plant toxins, we prompt an internal antioxidant response in the body. And that is the reason that plants are healthy. It's not that we're biting into a broccoli, swallowing it, and getting a dose of antioxidants bursting into our bloodstream. It's that we're mounting an antioxidant defense response to the consumption of these plant poisons. And that's a very important point to understand that I honestly uh, was shocked to uh, learn uh, to fully appreciate because I always kind of uh, glossed over that uh, chemical reaction chain, thinking that if you eat a handful of blueberries, you're just dosing with antioxidants. So uh, brilliant scientist Rhonda Patrick has great content on YouTube where she's uh, talking in detailed scientific study reference for uh, different dietary and health habits, sleep, nutrition. She's got a whole uh, show about the amazing sulforaphane uh, agent in broccoli uh, that is this antioxidant powerhouse. Uh, they were, I believe, ranking broccoli seeds as the most uh, high antioxidant food uh, you could get. Uh, but what's happening is you're poisoning your your liver and your liver's fighting back strong. It's going coming on strong by, for example, manufacturing uh, high levels of the potent quote unquote super antioxidant that we make internally called glutathione. So uh, if we go down through the plant kingdom and we look up all the great antioxidant benefits uh, and nutritional benefits of things like acai berries and macadamia nuts and dark chocolate and olive oil, we have the wonderful antioxidants, polyphenols, flavonoids. These are all poisons, toxins, okay? So just to um, get our heads clear. Um, and here's the interesting argument that Dr. Paul makes, uh, that plants come with a package insert 
of side effects. You know what the package insert is? This is the uh, written material that you get with your prescription medication. So you open up the little bag, there's the bottle of pills, and the fine print, the package insert says, may cause uh, vomiting, bloating, dizziness, nausea, right? So uh, all prescription drugs, of course, come with profound side effects. And the same is true for consuming plants. And so if you have some sensitivities to where these plant toxins might overwhelm your immune response and trigger an autoimmune response or trigger an inflammatory response, most probably or most likely because you have uh, dysfunctional gut health, you have leaky gut syndrome, uh, and so uh, unwanted agents drift into the bloodstream and your body mounts an autoimmune response against those wonderful agents that you just ingested. Antioxidants, polyphenols, flavonoids, the lycopene in the tomatoes and pomegranates that help protect against prostate cancer, all that kind of stuff, uh, it could overwhelm you. Now, if you uh, have excellent gut health and you don't have particular individual sensitivities to certain foods, of course, they can deliver the uh, touted benefits that we've read for our entire life. So your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, your leafy greens, your devoted consumption of nuts and seeds, all this stuff can boost your health or it can take you down. And when we're talking about going from level seven to level nine, we might want to investigate, even on a step-by-step basis, uh, whether or not uh, this purported benefits were accruing all those or they're setting us back a bit. And when I talk about my my salads and my stir fries and uh, causing the leaky pipes and the uh, digestive discomfort, who knows what it was causing uh, in other areas of the body in a subclinical level. Uh, Mark Sisson, in their very first book, Primal Blueprint, he talks about how uh, at the age of 40, he was experiencing arthritis in the hands that was affecting his golf game and smashing his dreams of uh, preparing for the PGA Senior Tour. Just kidding on the latter part, but uh, dead serious on the first part of the sentence that he was suffering from a significant arthritic condition, even as a young, healthy guy. And as soon as he ditched grains, all these lifelong digestive disturbances went away, the arthritis subsided, and there's hundreds of thousands, maybe even we're up to a million now, of people who have entered the ancestral health world and experienced amazing health breakthroughs, uh, not only from you know, ditching uh, grain, sugars, refined vegetable oils for the most part, uh, but also going a little bit further, investigating even further. So we can all agree like gluten is the most common and problematic lectin. That's a form of poison that's uh, contained in lectins are a group of uh, toxins, gluten being a form of lectin that's found in modern day wheat product, right? So we can all nod our heads and validate how uh, gluten intolerance, gluten sensitivity is uh, widely suffered from. Uh, we all know what it's like to uh, have a peanut, know someone with a peanut allergy and how serious that can be. Same with uh, allergies to casein protein and dairy products. Uh, but what's not as obvious are the oxalates in your wonderful spinach salad that you've eaten your entire life and can cause some minor disturbances as part of the package insert of side effects. I really enjoyed uh, Dr. Casey Mean's take here uh, during our podcast interview, where she talked about the concept of redundant pathways. The term means that you can get a similar health benefit uh, in different ways. Uh, Dr. Casey, go back and listen to her show. She's the co-founder of Levels Health, which is continuous glucose monitor technology and app. Gets you on the highest level of self-quantification, checking how various lifestyle habits affect your blood glucose in real time. So this redundant pathway concept, let's uh, give a nice quote here from Dr. Casey. For example, we can encourage autophagy, which is that helpful process of cleaning up old cells and proteins, through increased sirtuin gene expression. This increased gene expression can be activated by a number of different mechanisms, including hyperthermia, taking a sauna, calorie deprivation, such as fasting, cold thermogenesis, exercise, optimized circadian rhythms, and intake of plant polyphenols. So, while some of you might want to go take an ice bath, oh my gosh, imagine that, another person might choose to up their quercetin and resveratrol intake through plant foods, end quote. Uh, 
So Dr. Casey chooses to live her life eating in a ketogenic vegan pattern. And she's acknowledged that she's tested and refined her eating patterns over time very carefully to be sure that her diet is a winner rather than a chronic stressor. So you're strongly encouraged to do the same with your own food choices, including perhaps a period of extreme restriction to kind of get you to a a sensible baseline where you can do some problem solving uh, and some adding and subtracting and seeing seeing how things uh, affect your health. And the probably the most valid uh, baseline is to eat in a carnivore pattern, perhaps a strict carnivore experiment for 30 days if you're suffering from autoimmune or inflammatory conditions. So even Dr. Casey, who's on the opposite end of the spectrum, being a vegan, she supports the carnivore rationale by observing that the antioxidant boost we get from broccoli and berries can also be had by the cold plunge. And Dr. Paul has some good uh, video content where he talks about the concept of environmental hormesis versus dietary hormesis. So the word hormesis uh, implies a, a brief uh, positive, a brief stressor that delivers a net positive benefit, a hormetic stressor. So it's the Goldilocks just enough, right? So a sauna is a great example of a hormetic stressor, a sprint workout or a weight training workout where you're putting your body under resistance load in an appropriate way, not destroying yourself, but doing a nice uh, session where you challenge yourself through exercise is a hormetic stressor. So is the cold plunge. And so is consuming these plant toxins and mounting a desirable or an optimal antioxidant defense response. So you can get dietary hormesis and or environmental hormesis. So you look at Dr. Paul on his Instagram and he's going into the cold bath and talking about all the different ways for environmental hormesis to the extent that maybe you can put dietary hormesis aside uh, and prioritize the other stuff. So speaking of hormesis, fasting is one of the the greatest, right? Uh, It's pretty much undisputed that the antioxidant, immune boosting, and cellular repair response to fasting is vastly more powerful than anything you can get from the greatest superfood, uh, acai bowl, uh, freshly squeezed wheatgrass, and super juice smoothie, right? So Uh, For me, this is really a relief because I've been on this quest to health optimize and uh, diet optimize my whole adult life. But knowing that a starting point of skipping a meal is going to beat anything you can concoct, the greatest and most colorful salad of all time, the best super nutrition, $9 super juice at the uh, the local uh, healthy organic juice bar, knowing that the uh, merely not eating is going to help you fight cancer better, prevent cancer better, uh, boost immune function, get a nice antioxidant boost from fasting, slow down the aging process, all that great stuff. Uh, that should be a way to help you uh, sleep better better at night. You don't have to stress about it. And skipping meals is going to be a nice hormetic stressor. Uh, Just as a quick aside there, I mentioned the other ones, right? So if you're doing a sprint workout, taking a cold plunge and fasting and going in the sauna, and believe me, I've done all four of those on a single day, it's possible that you can overload on the hormesis, on the hormetic stressors, and then turn into a stressful event. Uh, Obviously, if I were to go in my uh, chest freezer or go in Lake Tahoe here in the wintertime uh, with 42 degree Fahrenheit current water temperature, I go in there for, I don't know, four or five or six minutes. If I were to go in for 20 minutes, I would be in deep trouble, if not dead. So that would make the hormetic stressor adverse, right? So overdoing it and just, uh, that was just my personal insight that sometimes if I'm uh, too aggressive with fasting, sprint workouts, cold plunge, sauna, uh, it can be too much and I probably should go down and sit down and have a nice meal. But fasting beats any superfood, good takeaway there. Um, And boy, the power of this, I think we're just scratching the surface, especially when it comes to uh, enhanced athletic performance. And who knows, maybe someday uh, fighting cancer through a fasting protocol or ketogenic eating protocol. They're already doing great stuff over there at the paleo... The paleo... Paleo Medicina Clinic in Hungary. Uh, Kate Shanahan talked about that on our interview. I believe the title was uh, How to uh, Avoid Cancer... It's on YouTube. It's on the podcast channel. And she said, <laughs> she said, if she got a 
diagnosis of cancer tomorrow. <gasps> Horrors, tragedy, what would she do? And she said, I'd watch it for a while. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. In other words, don't uh, perform these aggressive invasive treatments that uh, throw off all manner of healthy function when you get chemo and radiation. But she'd just monitor it for a while. Keep an eye on that cancer growing in your body. Can you do it? I don't know, man. I'd have to take a deep breath. But I would uh, be extremely enthusiastic about heading over to cutting edge treatments like this place that's doing great work in Hungary, the Paleo Medicina Clinic. We'll put the link in the show notes if you're uh, interested. And remind me in case I forget if I get cancer 10 years from now, what I said on the show. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it, listeners. Uh, But anyway, scratching the surface, not only in healing and medicine, but also in athletic performance. Um, Remember my anecdote from Dude Spellings. We related this in the recent book, Two Meals a Day. I think I've talked about it on the podcast, uh, but he was doing an experimental, super-duper ketogenic, fat-fueled athletic effort of doing the epic rim-to-rim-to-rim crossing in the Great Grand Canyon. So you go from the South Rim down to the bottom, up to the North Rim, I assume uh, touch the ranger station, high five, and then go back down to the bottom and back out. A lot of people do it as a camping scene. They camp out on the North Rim, go back the next day like sensible humans. But dude and his crew were doing it like the runners, the ultra-endurance thing. So they did the whole thing in 13 hours. It's about 50 50 miles with like 12,000 or more, no, it must be 25,000 feet of vertical. And he tried to do the whole thing fasted. All he consumed was uh, some coconut butter at one point, got to the finish line, and his supporters there uh, showed up to meet the running group uh, with a nice big box of steaming hot pizzas. Uh, But instead, dude decided to retire to his tent and fast for another 10 hours overnight. Uh, in the interest of speeding up recovery. Because we know when you're in that fasted state, you have better cell repair, you have better uh, immune function and better inflammation control. And he says he woke up the next morning and he was less stiff and sore than on his previous crossing when he was 13 years younger. He did this one when he was 49. So that's uh, a, a nice, young, healthy guy at age 36. And they also went quicker uh, in the most recent crossing. So that is a glimpse to the future of athletic performance and recovery. Same with Zach Bitter, the world record holder in the 100-mile run. He threw down a six-hour and 40-minute performance. I believe it was 2019 or 2020. And for reference point, that is a sub-three-hour marathon back to back to back to back mind-blowing. And he uses the uh, carnivore-ish ketogenic eating pattern, especially when he's in training to kind of uh, monitor or reduce that inflammation. And he notices, for example, the day after a long run, he wakes up and his ankles are less sore and stiff because his diet is uh, less inflammatory and more nutrient dense. He's got a great podcast, Human Performance Outliers. I've been on there. You can listen to our show and and check out some of his other content there, especially if you're uh, into that ultra endurance training scene. So uh, more quoting from Paul. He says, look, our ancestors did eat plants. Of course, we're omnivores, but only when meat and organs were scarce. And it was as a survival mechanism or the plants were consumed in very small quantities as medicine, end quote. Hey, this is a pretty wild insight. It kind of throws the uh, the basic assumption, the blanket assumption that humans are omnivores and meant to eat all this different stuff, it kind of puts that, it calls that into question. And that's a fundamental assumption of anthropology and genetic science, right? So it's it's assured that we're omnivores. Uh, we know that. There's no disputing that. Uh, that's unlike your wonderful uh, pet, your dog, which descends from the wolf, and the dog is a true carnivore. So your dog should be eating only animals and uh, very minimal plants, if any, and none of that nasty kibble, especially the kind of kibble that contains grains. Anyway, back to humans. This contention advanced by Dr. Saladino and also Dr. Sean Baker that plants are merely survival foods rather than a basis of the human diet and that they might have been only consumed or mainly consumed when hunting 
wasn't successful uh, kind of trips you out a little bit. I love Sean Baker's epic quote. Uh, we use this in the promo material for the incredible book, Carnivore Cooking for Cool Dudes. Check it out on Amazon. You will laugh and you will get some great meals too. He said, look, if our uh, ancestral uh, clan was able to take down a woolly mammoth, they would have uh, 3 million calories at their disposal that would feed everyone for weeks or maybe months without having to go look for uh, scrub around for uh, hunting and gathering plant foods. Uh, So it's also without dispute that the animal foods are vastly more nutrient-dense than the plant foods in that category. Um, You know, we've been hit with these insights that carrots and the orange and yellow family have a lot of beta-carotene, which is great for your eyesight. Uh, But as Paul points out, uh, converting that beta-carotene into the usable form of vitamin A that's really good for the eyes requires a complex chain of chemical reactions. It's 21 times more complex to convert the beta-carotene into a usable form of vitamin A uh, as it would be by comparison to have uh, a slice of liver that has extremely high amounts of vitamin A in its fully formed and usable form because it's coming from an animal source rather than a plant source. Uh, the term for that is retinol. So you have beta carotene, a precursor for vitamin A, and then you have retinol, the fully formed vitamin A. Liver has 700% of the RDA for vitamin A. That would be a lot of carrots to, uh, to be equivalent. So here's Dr. Paul's list. If you're interested in trying out this carnivore-ish experiment, uh, the main things to avoid in order of these are the most offensive or the most potentially toxic plant foods, nuts, seeds, legumes, grains, and leaves. That would be kale, spinach, Swiss chard, etc. Dang, son, where does that leave Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece? I'm promoting a beautiful nut butter blend product. Well, guess what? Uh, I eat sensible amounts. I don't live on this stuff. And whatever I do eat, and I have eaten, I would say, uh, larger quantities when I was in that experimental phase in the kitchen and slamming that stuff every day, but I would report zero adverse effects. So that's my rationale for enjoying uh, this sensible treat of Brad's Macadamia Masterpiece. And guess what? It's a nine ounce jar, small jar, and it sells for 16 or 17 bucks because of the premium ingredients inside, the coconut butter, the macadamia nut butter. So this would be a decadent treat, well chosen at times, and one spoonful is going to sustain you for a four-hour hike. I promise. Mia Moore and I have experimented many times. So uh, if you are sensitive to nuts, then you don't want to eat those. And you take that top five list of things to avoid, that's certainly a good starting point for the first 30 days. And then here are some plant foods that are less offensive. So Uh, as Paul lists them, one through five, sweet fruit in season, uh, the berries and things like that. And in season is an important point. I really appreciate Dr. David Perlmutter, best-selling author, one of the leaders in the space, uh, recommending that we don't consume any fruit in the winter months because it's counter to our ancestral experience where we would go long periods of time without having anything ripe to consume in that category. Uh, Number two on Paul's list is honey. And he's been touting this uh, with more enthusiasm lately. He's been testing with this continuous glucose monitor. And I believe he came out of a, uh, he spun out of a period of at least 18 months of extremely strict carnivore. So he did not consume any plant food, hardly any carbs whatsoever. And And he realized, like some other people have contended over time, I know Rob Wolf talked about this on the Joe Rogan podcast, that you can get what's called metabolic insulin resistance from adhering to a strict low-carbohydrate diet for a long period of time. So you're producing so little insulin because you're not consuming carbs that your body becomes a little bit desensitized to the insulin signaling. And it's good to kind of do a tune-up now and then. In other words, dose yourself with carbohydrates now and then so your body... uh, remembers what to do with them and keeps those muscles flexed. Does that make sense? Right. So uh, Paul is going for his doses of honey, especially as he pursues athletic goals and needs to uh, replenish glycogen. Uh, So third on the list, Uh, squashes, avocados, or olives. Again, if you can tolerate them, but these are the uh, low toxin 
type of plants. Uh, also uh, suggesting that it's okay to consume white rice because they has white rice has really minimal uh, toxins. A lot of people want to include that in their diet. Uh, have to cook it in a pressure cooker because that'll neutralize uh, whatever the uh, leftover toxins are in there. And then cucumbers without the skin and seeds. Okay, so there's uh, a list of stuff that you can throw in. I also did that recent podcast, What's, What's Brad's Diet Like These Days? And I listed painstakingly all the different stuff that's leaking into my diet uh, that's in the plant kingdom or the um, indulgence uh, list. And so I get well more than that top five list. Uh, but I have had some periods of time where you could say we're strict carnivore just to monitor and realize that things like my own nut butter weren't problematic and then other stuff leaking into the picture. Uh, maybe I'll quickly hit those bullet points again in case you didn't listen to the other show. Ah, uh, yes. Here's a quick list of some of my survival foods. Number one on the list, tons of 80% or higher dark chocolate. I'm loving the Askinosi 88% bar these days. And yeah, I can hit that stuff pretty hard. I also enjoy lots of avocados, one of the least objectionable plants, uh, as you notice on the list. And also sweet potatoes. I'll put those in my oxtail stew. Uh, once in a while, get some sweet potato fries from the local pub because they're so fantastic, even though they're probably cooked in oil. <gasps> Bad deal. And then maybe eating the sweet potato roasted in the oven. Uh, we'll go for a lot of squash in the wintertime when it's ripe. I also like to use uh, canned sun-dried tomatoes in a whole bunch of different recipes. I don't know. They just seem to work with eggs or with steak, whatever. Uh, I'm also kind of drifting in more of these little baby corn tortillas. They're like the uh, street taco size corn tortillas, and I'll fry those up in olive oil or butter, get them a little crispy and uh, delicious with eggs or even steak inside. Uh, I've been hitting some raw honey with the actual honeycomb uh, because of Paul's enthusiasm and trying that, especially because I want to recover from my high-intensity workouts uh, as smoothly as possible, especially in my age group. And so sometimes I'm thinking that uh, increased carbohydrate intake in the aftermath of these high-intensity workouts uh, can help me, can benefit me, can make it less of a stressor, right? Uh, once in a while, uh, some popcorn with heavy butter and heavy olive oil on there. I'm a master at making it heavy salt too, uh, but really trying, as you heard from my podcast titled The Fatty Popcorn Boy Saga, uh, trying to keep this in the treat category rather than a daily mindful, mindless habit. Uh, I had some cheesecake on my birthday I talked about. I made this paleo pumpkin pie. You can see uh, the ingredients, the recipe on my Instagram. Uh, I found this vanilla yogurt called St. Benoit, delicious. And usually I get plain yogurt without flavor, uh, but this has a nice uh, soft taste of vanilla, not too sweet. Sometimes I'll make a protein smoothie. Uh, the base is coconut milk and I'll even throw some frozen bananas in there uh, and throw a bunch of other powders and cool supplements. I use creatine, glutamine, collagen, and some electrolyte mix. Uh, if I'm hungry when I go shopping, sometimes in my bag will find its way to uh, those sesame blue chips or those red hot blue chips and then a tub of guacamole and I'll hit that. So that's a, a rare occasion. I would say I'm not a frequent shopper uh, for the blue corn chips, but yeah, darn, those are pretty good. Especially when you don't eat them that much, you really appreciate them. Uh, and I'll cook a little bit of veggies sometimes uh, as a a meal accoutrement. So the onions might be in the pan if I'm cooking steak or a certain other recipe, or if someone serves me something. Um, Mia Moore is really good at making asparagus. So I'm not going out of my way to be an asparagus eater anymore. But if it's served on my plate, of course, I'll eat it. And I don't have huge adverse effects from occasional uh, plant intake. Maybe a different story when I was pounding the stir fries every single day. But I'm definitely on that game of consuming uh, zero fruit in the winter. And then in the summer, if I can find some great berries at the farmer's market, I'm just uh, exclusive and selective because I don't want these things to just be automatic defaults. Again, I'm trying to adhere to the carnivore scores chart and focus on the most nutrient-dense foods like the frozen liver, liver cubes that I will slice up 
I'll, I'll thaw the liver just enough to slice it. I'll make these little cubes and then I'll put them back in a glass container in the freezer. And so I can grab a handful of frozen liver cubes, salt them heavily. And those are the kind of things that will be go-to. I wouldn't call it a snack because I usually try to do it around mealtime and only eat two meals a day, right, right? But that's kind of replacing the absent-minded consumption of blue corn chips because they're always in the house, right? Okay, so that was my uh, list. And Paul gave you his top five list of uh, fruit, I mean, uh, carbs that you uh, can add in if you desire. And then he gave a little more detail on his newsletter about what his eating patterns are. He's eating two meals a day. Hey, I heard there was a great book by the same name. He goes for breakfast in the morning and then another meal in the late afternoon, but pretty darn early in the day uh, for most people's liking. But he's going for, uh, trying to go level seven to level nine. Uh, Bone broth is in the scene. He makes it himself. Uh, 170 grams of protein for a athletic human weighing 170 pounds. So one gram per pound of total body weight. And that's a little bit higher than the uh, long-standing recommendations of people. But guess what? Now the um, the door is opening where people are uh, second-guessing these um, veiled warnings about, oh, consuming t- too much protein can be bad. And now, especially for the healthy, active athletic population, uh, you can see these recommendations going up. Paul going a gram per pound of total body weight. A lot of times you hear protein recommendations calculated on lean body mass. So you'd have to take off uh, 15 or 12 or 20 percent of the total, and that's quite a bit lower. So he's going gram per pound, uh, also consuming two to three ounces of raw organ meat, and of course, the precious supplements that he makes and also ancestral supplements is putting out to so many interested consumers. Um, A lot of fat in the diet, 80 to 110 grams of fat, and then in small amounts, consuming that honey, uh, also dates, and I believe that's mainly for uh, improving insulin sensitivity and recovering from strenuous exercise. Okay, so in conclusion, we're talking about going from level seven to level nine and enhancing the nutrient density of your diet, especially if you are interested in dropping excess body fat. I think the carnivore experiment is worth a go because what's gonna happen is you're gonna be incredibly satiated because everything you're eating has a good amount of nutrient density and very high satiety, right? It's known that protein has uh, even higher satiety level than fat. So if you're eating these animal foods like an egg that's high in protein, high in fat, you're gonna feel fantastic. Tell me about any time that you've overdosed on eggs and felt terrible after uh, in comparison to overdosing on popcorn or chips or ice cream. Okay, so you're getting automatically this extremely high satiety diet. Uh, It's gonna be automatically uh, low in carbohydrate and you're gonna start kickstarting, turbocharging your burning of stored body fat. So I love that aspect uh, besides the plant toxicity concerns. Even if you report nothing, no problem, you can eat anything, you have an iron stomach. Uh, A lot of people are interested in dropping excess body fat and I believe this is the easiest and best way to do it. That's why I think it's gonna continue to explode in popularity. Hopefully it doesn't get distorted like the the keto scene where people are misinterpreting and misappropriating uh, the spirit of the ketogenic diet uh, because of the popularity, I guess. So doing it right, and going for that weight loss goal is a big deal. And so is the, um, uh, the nutrient uh, intensity, the nutrient density of your diet and trying to up your game there. I remember when I was uh, heartbroken and, and stunned that years into uh, eating in the uh, primal pattern and ditching all the bad stuff out of my diet and having my, my steaks and my eggs and uh, plenty of vegetables and fruit and all that great stuff, and then uh, being exposed to the work of Dr. Kate Shanahan in her best-selling book, Deep Nutrition, where she's talking about these four pillars of human ancestral nutrition uh, and the four categories were fresh foods, so your fruits, your vegetables. Uh, Second was fermented foods, so that category of sauerkraut, kimchi, yogurt, kombucha. 
The third pillar was organ meats, and the fourth one was meat on the bone. So you can get your collagen and your glycosaminoglycans and things that are not found in any uh, other foods or very little. And I realized that I was basically striking out on three of the four categories. Of course, I was eating a lot of fresh foods, uh, very little fermented foods. Maybe once in a while, I'd have some yogurt or a kombucha, uh, hardly any organ meats at all. And then uh, meat on the bone, you know, once in a while you have a ribeye, but mostly I'm eating steaks and hamburgers and chicken and turkey. So this uh, work of Kate inspired me to up my game and go looking for uh, foods in those other categories. And especially in recent times, thanks to the really extreme guys like Saladino and Brian Liver King Johnson, the founder of Ancestral Supplements, uh, they've inspired me to up my liver game in particular and my overall organ meat consumption. So I'm making these wonderful oxtail stews, uh, finding that that's the tail of the cow. It's called oxtail. You can find it at a good butcher and order up things like heart and kidney from U.S. Wellness Meats. Uh, sometimes I find tongue at the butcher, Whole Foods once in a while. And if you put that thing in a crock pot and cook it for eight hours, oh my gosh, it's delicious. The meat just peels off and uh, you have yourself a nice uh, base for a taco. Uh, bone broth, again, is that really special uh, dietary category that's really hard to address with other foods because you're getting that connective tissue in a good bone broth, right? To, to be uh, distinguished from the cartons of what should be called um, chicken or beef stock rather than the proper bone broth, which is gelatinous when it's cold and then it heats up into liquid. Um, there's so many good purveyors uh, you can find in the quality markets. I like bonafide provisions because they make all these exotic flavors like tomato flavored bone broth and they make it out of chicken and beef and you can find some other good brands out there as well. Or or make it your own by buying the joint material, the knuckles from the butcher, and going on a 48-hour uh, simmer on the crock pot. Uh, and I also like the great suggestion from Matt Whitmore of Fitter Food. Check him out on Instagram. He's a fitness machine as well as a dietary expert with his wife, Karis Marsden. Uh, he told me to drop a few egg yolks into my morning mug of bone broth. And boy, is that a superfood. Okay, there's a nice summary of enhancing the nutrient density of your diet, uh, keeping an open mind and thinking critically about this carnivore movement and maybe partaking in some experimental time, especially to determine your sensitivity to plant toxins and overall to focus on enhanced nutrient density of the diet, drop some excess body fat while you're at it, uh, please print out my carnivore scores chart. That was a great project with Kate Kretzinger. Put it on your fridge and try to go for the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet as your dietary emphasis. Thank you so much for listening. Send some comments. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at bradventures.com and share this show with others, right? On most podcast players, you can push a little button up there to share a link and your friends who are out of the loop can join in and up their overall game from level seven to level nine and beyond. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five-star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.